The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. forward john this raiders win gets the Bengals to six and eight and it's oh so close to that magical marvin number of eight and eight <laughs> and uh i think i i, I think what's on a lot of fans minds and i know we already got one listener question usually we save these till the end of the program and and side note if you do have some of those we will be trying to take some of those at the end of the program uh, if we can, but you can hit us up on Twitter at Bengals OBI. You can leave your comments in the comment thread at cincyjungle.com or in the chat at YouTube. And then we have our text and call line open 949-542-6241 if you want to hit us up there. But uh, I, I wanted to get to this question early because it relates to a topic we wanted to talk about. And it's from, it, it was on Twitter from Carlos Andre at Carlos Andre 31. Uh, Hey guys, do you think this win saved Marvin's job? I thought that uh, that within with a five and eleven record, the odds were high uh, as high that they could get. I'm assuming meaning getting rid of him. Uh, I still have hope with six and ten. That's a funny statement, but uh, <laughs> I still have hope with six and ten. But if they win one more game, we're stuck with him again. Any thoughts? Greetings from Brazil. I uh, love the show. Who day? Thanks, Carlos. Appreciate the question. Um, as I said, we were going to talk about this as kind of a topic anyway, so the question relates well. I think that's both uh, – I mean, it's a concern. It's an expectation. It's I, I, To me, as I sit here today, I, I, I don't know that this one means as much as the next two games in terms of a win. Um, I think we know how the Brown family feels about the Cleveland Browns and obviously a win against the Steelers and one that might, uh, that could potentially knock them out of the playoffs that could play in Lewis's favor. So your thoughts about the win this week and what it means going forward uh, for Marvin Lewis's job security. Um, And then let's start there. Let's start there. If Lewis saved his job, with the win against the Raiders, his job wasn't in jeopardy to begin with. And, you know, my whole standpoint with it is that I don't think that Mike and that team operate strictly on a, a couple wins and losses to sway their decision-making. Because to Carlos's question, he said, you know, if this win eventually leads them to becoming 79, so they go, what, one and one and either against with the winning against the Browns and the winning against the Steelers. Still a losing record, still the same record that they had last year. 
when they brought Marvin back on a two-year contract. Like, if the Raiders win is, like, the main reason why they got to 7-9, and nine, and then that's the number that brings Marvin back, he wasn't – you can't tell me with a straight face that his job was at risk in the first place. And that would just only confirm that winning and losing doesn't, you know, determine Marvin Lewis's job security. So I don't I, like, no, like, I, I, I feel like it, I feel like they have a decision right now in mind about what to do with him. And ultimately, a lot of that decision is going to be laid upon Marvin. And if they happen to somehow win one of these last two games, and if that's enough to like, you know, instill some type of surge and a, a desire to come back yet again and try for a fourth consecutive losing season, then that's fine. But I don't think that the organization itself is going to look at a win against a team that's worse than the Bengals at home in front of 30,000 somewhat fans in the stadium and say, yeah, this is the one, this is the thing that's going to make things okay. You know, it's the first win since October. I, I, don't, I don't buy that, to be honest. Yeah. And, It's tough because I think you and I spoke last week uh, before the show about my, uh, just a side side deal, my nephew met a lot of players the evening before the Chargers game. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ended up meeting Marvin Lewis, and Marvin Lewis was so cordial and such a nice guy to him. And he actually approached my nephew, who's like 11 years old, and – it's, it's that kind of stuff where you go, oh, man, we're sitting here just begging for the guy to not be employed anymore. You know what I mean? It's it's really sad. And I've met I've met him. I've talked to him. And he is a really, really nice man. And he is a, he's done a lot of good things for the Bengals. But, um, you know, a, a time for a change is a time for change. And um, even successful organizations do that. Um, the thing that I wonder about, like you said, John, is – I don't. I don't know that his job would have been in jeopardy if, with a win over the Raiders, that doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things. And when you look at what Mike Brown said last year, when it came time to decide whether or not to bring Lewis back or re-sign him, it was that the Bengals basically knocked off two potential playoff teams, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's what helped him decide. That the that the fact you know that the team was playing well for him at the end of the year that sort of thing and that's that meant a lot to him in that decision process. Now we sit here and we go, well, theoretically the Browns are still alive for the playoffs. I think uh, the Steelers are still alive for the playoffs and the division crown. So I mean, does that excuse play in there? And uh, I mean, I, I go back also, John, to is this something where we know about Mike Brown and he's, he's not, I don't know if you want to call him like non-confrontational or, or whatever you want to, you want to label him as, and there are a lot of labels, but with Marvin, you almost wonder if he wants to take the white glove treatment with him and say, you know what, we've got this one year, either you stay or the, the opt out is that mutual, mutual parting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. Those are kind of some, thoughts rattling in my head if you want to expand on those or your thoughts on if he comes back I mean like you I, you kind of mentioned it a little bit is is it probably going to be more of the same in 2019 if Marvin's back or the injuries and all of that does does that play into a potential more successful season so we want Marvin to essentially retire because I don't think he's ever going to get fired if he does leave it'll be 
part of his decision making as well. We want Marvin to retire because we believe that that's like the one tangible, obtainable um, step in progress that we as fans can hope for. Because the the underlying problem, the main problem with the Bengals is not necessarily the head coach. It's more the owner and how he runs things and obviously all those things that we have expanded upon to death. And when people talk about, you know, the, the, the Bengals wouldn't be anywhere near where they are without Marvin Lewis, perhaps that's true. But then we get upset when people say, you know, how are they going to do better than him based off where they were? I don't think a lot of us realize that if Marvin Lewis is gone, and let's just say for hypothetical reasons, a Hugh Jackson is not the replacement, I truly wonder who is going to win over Mike Brown's heart in that scenario because Mar- Marvin Lewis's underrated ability is to, you know, somehow swindle power away from Mike Brown with whatever, you know, charm or char- charisma or persona that he puts on for him. And I don't know of a single coach out there that can possibly do the same thing with a man, you know, that operates and has the personality of a Mike Brown. So it, it honestly is curious to me, you know, when and if Marvin Lewis you know, moves on, who is going to be the guy that can possibly, you know, convince Mike Brown to do things differently and also be be a guy that Mike would even trust and would even accept into his inner circle because he's such a family man. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people think it's going to be Hugh because he's kind of runs things similar to Marvin, has that similar personality traits and are obviously good friends. And so Mike would, would trust, you know, Marvin vetting him or whatever, but I don't know. I think that's an aspect that not a lot of people you know, think about when they when people talk about Marvin being the best thing for them, because Marvin might be the best kind of might, might be the best coach with that kind of personality that can um, de- um, deviate the power away from Mike in that sense. OK, so and I agree with you, you know, it, to be honest, I think it was. When was I think it was actually actually the the 2011 off season when he came back, I was like no after 2010 I was like no 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 right. and then when they resigned him I changed my tune a little bit and saying look this is the only guy it seems that is grabbing Mike Brown's ear, mm-hmm. um, so that's why I was like okay I'm in I'm in for another turn with Lewis and now it's turned into this after I mean. Obviously, 11, 2011 through 2015, that was enjoyable. But since, it, it, you know, still can't win the big games. Players don't show up in the big games. Uh, we know the narratives. We know the narratives. So I've got just a couple more questions I want to ask you on this, John. Do you think that the – do you think that the effort level, especially given the, the injuries, do you think that the effort level – is potentially saving him uh, near win or at least very competitive game against the chargers win against the Raiders. Um, obviously I, I thought the effort was pretty poor against some of the better teams they played where they got blown out and, and whatnot the Browns. I thought the effort was pretty poor in that game early on, but I mean, do you think now that's another thing that Mike Brown might say, well, you know what this team quote unquote, didn't give up on him. Well, it all started with that collapse against the saints. And at the time the saints were, amounting to, to be as one of the very best teams in the NFL. It wasn't even close on the field. Once that like started happening and then they realized just how outclassed they were compared to the elite in the NFL, things started to downturn. And then when you continue to play teams that are just more talented than you, I feel like effort at the start is already at a low because you know you're you already don't have a lot of confidence that you yep. can beat teams of this quality. And then you face the Raiders 
and they start firing out of the gate because they're just at even at this point they're the better team than the Raiders. People are like, oh, they're playing for Marv. They're just playing a team that they're just clearly talented, more talented than. They're not going to have that situation against the Browns, and they're not going to have that situation against the Steelers. Like, sh- sure, because it is the home finale, and there is speculation that this could be Marvin Marvin's last home game. Maybe they played a little bit more extra for that, but I do think that there is something to be said about playing a team that even they know, you know, losing five straight, they're just better than they're, they're just more talented. The roster is better and they probably don't respect John Gruden and what he's done to start there in the first place. So I think a lot of those factors factor in more than just overall effort playing for Marvin for one last time. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Gazenza. We're talking about the situation with Marvin Lewis and what it means, what this win means going forward uh, for his future with the club. You, John, you and uh, both you and Matt Minich at CincyJungle.com wrote recent articles about tanking. Mm -hmm. Matt Minich is – stance was tanking is not going to solve the bank Bengals problems is the title of that. And I glanced at that one a little bit, basically, you know, it goes beyond the issues go beyond needing a high draft pick type of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's I think it's organizational stuff. It's, you know, things with Lewis, that sort of thing. And then you wrote one uh, two days ago that was titled the Bengals haven't failed at tanking yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to give mine as well, but I mean, give us your stance at this point on the Bengals tanking their season, because I think a lot of people are like, dude, just lose out, get that high pick and do what you can with it. Whereas other people aren't so sold on that idea. And, and even I like totally understand, you know, the points that Matt, um, uh, expanded upon in that piece. He, like when they were, I don't, I don't even know what the record was, but it was about a month ago. I wrote, I wrote about wanting the Bengals to continue winning because winning and losing doesn't matter when they're, when they're making long-term decision-making specifically with, 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 with Martin yeah. or whatever. And, you know, that was at the point where they were still kind of in the playoff race and there was still, there was still a decent possibility since then they didn't win. And at this point now I'm thinking like you, like, you know, you might as well just not leave it to chance with a, a, like a division win against the Browns or the Steelers. You might as well just like lose out to make sure that you do see at least some form of actual tangible change at where it matters. And the only way that we would for sure see that is if they would lose. And if that doesn't happen, if they lose, then we can really confirm that winning and losing doesn't matter in in, in terms of, of of that kind of thing. But um, yeah, a lot of people were like worried that a winning against the Raiders would like ruin them from a top 10 pick. And I ended up doing the math and the, the vast majority of teams who ended up winning uh, six games on the year, um, 75% of them pick between eight and 10th in the draft order, or at least that's where their final alignment is. And so there's about eh, 20 so percent chance that they get outside of the top 10, but the odds are in favor of, of them finishing in the top 10. But then you think it back about it and you're like, you know, it doesn't really matter where they're going to draft or what their first round draft pick is the overlying issues still exist on this roster. And if those issues, you know, persist with the same guys leading the ship, then not a lot, not a lot of that is going to matter. And that's where I agree with Matt as well for in, in that standpoint. I'm, I'm on the fence about a lot of things with it. I mean, I think overall, if you're not going to the playoffs, I think 
the overarching opinion is, of course, you want the highest draft pick as possible to get the highest impact player as possible. And playing into that corner with me is something I've harped on a lot on this show and on the website is if you're not going to move up to get an impact player, you might as well get as high of a pick as possible mm-hmm. to get get the guy that you potentially want because the Bengals like never trade up, especially in the early rounds to to – for someone significant instead they wait and see who falls to them so from that standpoint i'd like to see them not not win any more games and get the highest pick possible right and and, and like uh, i think matt talked about you know they need to learn how to win and to kind of eradicate as much of the losing culture as as it is but i think you and me can both agree that if this team had like a head coach within you know two or three years in his tenure and there was they were more talented than where they are now then you would want like them to finish the season strong, you know, to get some momentum going forward for next yeah. year because you have stability in there. But since you're trying to push guys out of the door, winning probably delays that happening than losing does. Yeah, year one, year two in a new coaching regime. If you're, you know, at that six win mark, you kind of want to say, hey, let's let's push and, and see how we can, you know. And that's you know, year sixteen. <laughs> there's a different <laughs> there's a different attitude. But uh, the other thing, though, I mean. I guess I, I'm just a little old school and I've, I've coached teams and stuff. So I don't, even, even if this te- the season is out of control, I don't like to see a team quit. And uh, from a, from a fan standpoint, watching, watching the game, I don't, I don't need to see against two bitter rivals, especially coming up here. I don't need to see them get blown out by three touchdowns in each game. Um, yeah. The injury excuse is there, but uh, you know, I, I'd really like to see them make a game of it. And if they lose, okay, that plays into the draft thing. They're already out of the playoff race anyway. But I would like to see them at least put up a fight against these two teams, um, which is weird to say for the Browns because that's been a team that they've largely owned, but uh, definitely the case for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's uh, the, I, I see pros and cons to each, and and so, but then you know sometimes high effort level will get you that win and knock you down, <laughs> mm-hmm. knock you down the draft order. So there's you know there's a double edged sword there. But I mean, I guess as weird as it sounds at this point, ideally I would like to see you know Joe Mixon get his thousand yards and 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 end up having a really good statistical season. Um, Tyler Boyd's already got his one thousand yards. I'd like to see some of these young guys play and improve. I'd like to see the effort level be high, and if they lose, that's fine with me, I guess, because that then they they would get the higher draft positioning. But uh, I, I I just don't like losing against I don't like the Bengals losing against those teams. It's uh, <laughs> not it's not fun. But to end to end this discussion, John, quickly, Marvin Lewis keeps his job if. They finished six and eight, or I'm sorry, they finished uh, six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight. What 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 category or categories do you see him keeping his job in 2019 with those records? Um, I would say eight and eight. I, I guess you can throw it in as likely because you know there's president for last year and how they ended. Seven and nine. I feel like a win against the Browns and a loss against the Steelers probably isn't enough if we're just if we're still in this vacuum of these last two games meaning something and mattering. Six and ten, I think, like like I think that that at that point, like Marvin doesn't have a lot of energy and, and any motivation to 
continue. So I would say seven to nine with that asterisk with that win being against the Steelers, maybe more so than it being against the Browns. Eight and eight door is definitely wide open. I would say. Yeah, I think I think eight and eight he saves himself. Seven and nine is dependent. Um, mm. I, I'm a little more. I'm a little more confident in Lewis staying at seven and nine maybe than you are because of who they play. And the fact that both of those teams are in the playoff hunt, the Brown family absolutely still hates the Cleveland Browns. Um, and then obviously the Steelers just bitter rival. And I think if Lewis can get a win with, with this injury riddled team, if he can get a win against one of those teams, I, I think, I think he might stay at seven and nine. Um, and, and theoretically that's not a, it's not a digression from last year, right? I mean, record-wise. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, that they would look at that and say, oh, you know, then that's when you start hearing the excuse things. But uh, I think if they if they lose both games, I don't I don't think he comes back. I, I, I think six and ten. He still just, could come back. Like I don't even want to have any confidence in that statement. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, six and ten, and yeah. Oh, oh man. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through the YouTube chat. There's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different comments and questions or a couple of questions we'll get to later, but a lot of different, a lot of different comments here. And, uh, Michael Myers says, no matter where we pick, the team cannot let Mike Brown make the first round pick. Well, he's the owner. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how little of say he would have in that. Um, obviously he's been at the head of a lot of different, first round disasters with this team, but uh, we'll let bygones be got bygones, I guess. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can get it on cincyjungle.com. We're also on YouTube and Art19, so get the program how you can. And uh, give us your thoughts on Marvin Lewis and what you think is going to transpire with his job um, coming up here. We do have a caller on the line. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, it's John from Kentucky. John. What's what's going on, sir? Hey. Well, uh, great podcast. I'll, I guess I'll just start it off here quickly. Anthony, what? I'm, I'm looking back over the season. Remember, we started 4-1. And, and, and remember the turnovers we were getting? You remember against Indianapolis? Yep. And uh, Miami? Yep. And even Tampa Bay. When we didn't play so great. What happened? I actually like Terrell or Terrell Austin's philosophy of let's get turnovers. What happened? Well, I think uh, that that's a that's a great question and a great point. I think there there are a number of different uh, a number of different um, issues that one could point at uh, in terms of in terms of what occurred, I think a very inconsistent pass rush contributed. Uh, I think Terrell Austin, by most accounts, said that, or that most accounts after he got fired, people said that he tried to throw too much too soon at a at a group that kind of had he had their heads spinning a little bit. John Sheeran, what are some of your thoughts to John from Kentucky's question here? I'm, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that. Turnovers and committing a lot and forcing a lot of them are necessarily sustainable. And people will like point to that that one Charles Tillman season for the Bears where he had like forced eight fumbles or whatever, and the Bears defense just you know ran train on the entire NFL. 
And that obviously didn't continue over to the next year. And I, I think just over a season, just a, a, a team that forces a lot of turnovers is more in, in, in um, indicative of how talented that defense is. And then once injuries started with, with Carl Lawson and, you know, in the secondary as well, if dark was Denard, you know, some weaknesses started getting exposed. And then you have the entire secondary, you know, unit just completely in shambles just from a talent perspective. So I don't think they have the talent to consistently produce that many turnovers. And obviously the level of competition started to get a lot better because, you know, they faced a Colts team that was still, you know, finding its feet. They faced Jameis Winston, who was just turnover prone in general. And I think the other game was like Brian Tannehill, which, you know, those were two fluky turnovers and to begin with. So I think sustainability is the main issue. And then, Obviously, the lack of talent compared to other top defenses kind of led to that downfall, I guess. Yeah, and 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 to both Johns, um, I, I think there are this this team has proven to be feast or famine on a lot of different fronts, and uh, I think that unfortunately, instead of the you know feast one week, famine the other week, feast it, where it's like almost every other week and it's a coin flip, the the feast was maybe only a quarter of the time and the famine was three quarters of the time. And I think that's indicative of, of the record. The thing, John, John from Kentucky, I, I want to say to you and, and ask you about before we, before we get you off the air, um, you've been a, you've been a Bengals fan for a long time. So I'm sure you can kind of relate the thing in terms of what you're talking about with turnovers and big plays by the defense. The thing that is, that has driven me nuts. And we just got done talking about Geno Atkins He's one of the guys, but their main guys, their big play guys, their big, their big time players, especially on defense, they have not shown up in those marquee matchups. They have they absolutely disappeared in the Chiefs game, the Steelers game, uh, the games they needed them to step up the most. They did not step up, and I think that's been a big problem. Yes, I agree. We've had little to no pass. And, of course, I'm not about to get out of here yet without bashing the head coach. I mean, <laughs> during the Steelers game that you, that you just mentioned, Anthony, you know, when we had the ball on the Pittsburgh 40-yard line to start the second half, and Harvard Lewis punched the ball. I did, you know, that I was just so frustrated. We've seen that over the years. And um, it, it's things like that is why when Marvin Lewis does leave, I don't want him in the front office. No because he'll be up there saying, well, we don't really need to move on from Andy Dalton. Let's give him a few more years. You know, Vontez perfect. No, he's okay. Another year or two. Dre, no, he's a no. Absolutely no. But we clearly want to move on from Marvin Lewis. Nevertheless, I'll say this, and this is surprising. Did you see, did you bother to watch the Raiders game? I did. <laughs> okay. Did you see how aggressive Marvin Lewis was there for a little while? Putting his team down the field. Yeah. Even the announcers mentioned it. Well, yeah. It's Where has this been? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Where has this been over his career? Well, we want to see this every game. And not just against the worst teams in the league. No, we want to see this against Pittsburgh. Yep. Where has this been? Uh, unfortunately, John, I think again, you, you and I, you and I have watched a lot of Bengals games over over the years, and a lot of Marvin Lewis over the years. I think. It's at the point now where it's like, well, now we've got nothing to lose because the the you know basically the season was kind of out of control. They were playing a lesser opponent; they probably knew that, and uh, you know the the you kind of loosen the grip a little bit, if you will, off the off the handles. And uh, you know what do you know? It paid off. They ended up going for it. They ended up getting points and winning a game. And uh, 
I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a conservative guy, and I think that's been a big problem with him. John, uh, we've got another call coming through. Thanks for calling, sir. All right, see you, buddy. Thanks for calling. This is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Terrell, what's going on, buddy? How you doing? Uh, good, man. Sorry. I, I think you called in a couple times. Sorry we missed you there, but glad we got you in. Contest. Yeah, popularity contest. Thanks, Terrell. We're going to talk about some of your stuff off the air. Appreciate you calling in, my friend. No problem. How are you too? Uh, the the main one I think a lot of people are interested in. Uh, I mean, a lot of good stuff there from Terrell, but the main one I think people will want to talk about or want us to talk about is is Haskins, and uh, he has risen up quite a bit and rightfully so given his stats and everything that he did this year he has risen up uh, quite a bit really over the past month or so in terms of draft uh draft positioning in in this year's class very weak quarterback class um overall and uh my and i want to get your thoughts on him john i'm just going to say real quick my thoughts i'm i'm 
I've been a little hesitant about Ohio State quarterbacks in general. Um, the, you know, system they run, all that kind of stuff. And you look back, uh, you know, Troy Smith and, you know, these these athletic guys that can run a, run a bit and they put up these astronomical numbers. They're in the Heisman race. Haskins is one of them. Who was the guy a couple years ago that – stepped in for uh Tall gauge cardell yeah cardell jones and jt barrett and all you know I, there's there's all these guys that come out that have these excellent statistical college careers for ohio state the teams are very successful they go to bowl games they win national championships but they get to the nfl they get to the pros and either they're they're undersized um they're overwhelmed by what nfl offenses are asking of them and I don't know if Haskins is of that mold. I don't know if he has a higher ceiling than some of those guys, but there's been kind of a long track record of a lot of Ohio State quarterbacks that have come in and just kind of been blah. Man, it's only December, and we're talking about – I wanted to avoid Haskins for like until at least January, but I guess we're just going to do it now. Well, um, yeah. No, no, like let's just do it. You, you, have, you have hesitation about Ohio State quarterbacks, and – for me, it's kind of similar to Ohio State interior offensive line, and a good portion of my family is is, is Ohio State graduates. And I actually saw them just over the weekend, and we were talking about you know Billy Price being better moving to guard, and how ever since Corey Lindsley uh, dominated at Ohio State at the center position, and then and then got drafted and has developed into one of the better centers in the league, they've just been plugging and playing guards into center, and just kind of you know going off the success that Lindsley had. Pat Elfline was like the Remington Award winner. Billy Price became the Remington Award winner, and then this year Mike Jordan was uh, the the Remington Award winner for all. All three of them were the best centers in the league in the in the nation. And you know, all my family who are Ohio State fans, like Mike Jordan's not good. He's he's not a good center, but because of the reputation that was set upon you know that position in in recent years past, it kind of creates this false perception that guys just because they're wearing the scarlet and gray and they're playing center, they must be good at football. So with with that, I would always say for in terms of scouting guys, you know, you got to look at the traits. You got to look at what they actually do more so than what jersey that they wear. And a lot of people got in trouble with that when with Patrick Mahomes because people didn't trust, you know, Big 12 air raid quarterbacks succeeding in the NFL, but they didn't look at what Mahomes did well. And a lot of them got burned because he's lighting the league on fire. So it's dangerous to look at Haskins and assume that because he's an Ohio State quarterback, you know, he's, he's not NFL caliber. But at the same time, there's also the other factors that you have to look at. You know, what kind of scheme was he in? Did he get right. a lot of help from his playmakers? You know, what was his average depth of target? Did he show the, the you know, the willingness to push the ball down the field? And did he operate well out of structure? And that's a lot of questions that obviously you and I are not well prepped to answer at this point in time because I didn't really watch a lot of film on Haskins this year. I just watched a couple live Ohio State games. But, you know, people will know me as, you know, kind of an anti-Ohio State guy. I just, you know w- – being in the region and not being growing up a fan of the Buckeyes, you know, naturally I'm a little bit more pessimistic on some of those guys translating to the NFL, but just because he's an Ohio state quarterback doesn't mean that he's automatically, you know, falling in line with those other guys. But at the same time, there are legitimate questions. And I think that people who are Ohio state fans may get a little bit too high on Haskins just because he succeeded, you know, statistically and they, and he still has, you know, major questions, major, you know, issues that he needs to kind of go through. And maybe the Bengals, are the team to provide them with the best spot? Maybe they aren't, but I, I think that's a question that we're going to, um, you know, find out here in, in the next coming months. Yeah, agreed. 
And uh, I, this kind of the, the reason I, I wanted to talk about Haskins is because that also tied in a little bit to a, it kind of killed two birds with one stone here with another question we had from Brian Browerman talking about drafting Dalton's future replacement. Um, Terrell didn't say that he thinks the Bengals necessarily will draft Haskins, but I mean, obviously he would be one of the nominees to potentially an, as an early round guy to potentially uh, take the place of, of Dalton. I, so Brian, thank you for the question as well. I, I think just for now we, we get, we get the Dalton question a lot. So I think we're going to, we're going to hold off, but hopefully that kind of ties in and answers a little bit of your question in terms of Haskins and what, what we have seen from him and our concerns with him. We had another segment planned, but we're, we're running, uh, running kind of long on time and we've got a slew of awesome questions this week. So I think we'll hold off on that segment for next week and just finish off with a couple more listener questions. We got a text. Um, I believe it was also noted in the live YouTube chat from Vernon Lawson. And I love this question. Do you see any of the younger players making the jump like Tyler Boyd has meaning probably with the one Tyler Boyd made this year? Um, I I don't, I I don't know. Uh, You know, again, Boyd was, Boyd was a second year guy into a third year guy. So I don't know if you're, if you're, you know, if you want to pigeonhole the rookies, I don't know if you want to do that. Um, I guess if you want to say a second year guy into his third year, I'll, I'd like to go with Carl Lawson. Um, I, I think unfortunately he only had one sack this year. He played in eight games, but he had numerous pressures, only had one sack, obviously had his career, uh, not his career, God, uh, his season cut short. And I think, that if and when he's healthy next season, you know, if you get Gino close to what he gave you this this year, you still got Dunlap. If you if he gives you close to what he gave you this year, you and you give more snaps to a Lawson, to a Hubbard. I like Michael Johnson, but you know, his I think his days continue to be numbered here. Um, I think if you give those guys snaps, um, I, I think they'll produce for you. I don't know that Lawson's, you know, going to have this 15 sack explosion year, um, but I, I could see him if healthy the entire year, getting the proper snaps and being uh, productive. I could see him sniffing double digit sacks. Okay. I, I like that. Um, I think a uh, simple answer would be Ross, but a lot of that is, I think is based off what the future of the offense is going to be in 2019. If, if Laser's going to stay, um, I think I think we're pretty sure that Dalton's going to be starting, but I think there's more factors that go into it than that. I can see Ross, you know, ex- not exploding to the level that Boyd did, but progressing at, at a level that I think a lot of us are comfortable with. But I'm going to stick in the fourth round and go Ryan Glasgow because yeah. he, he was a guy that admittedly I wasn't that big of a fan on, you know, coming out of the draft and from his rookie year. I thought he provided little upside as a pass rusher, little upside as an athlete. But just in the preseason in the first three games that he played before he tore that ACL, I thought he looked like a completely different player and, and to the sense where he made the necessary jumps in technique to compensate for a lack of explosion and a lack of burst off the line. Uh, he looked really good with his hands. I think he added a lot more muscle that helped him out um, holding off at the point of attack and run defense. And, you know, a big complaint for me has always been the lack of depth behind Geno Atkins and how he had to carry that position group. Uh, next to mainly Domo Tapeco and now Andrew Billings. But I think Glasgow is a solid piece moving forward, and I want to see how he recovers off that 20 CL because, like Gino, when he came back in 2014, he you know didn't look himself. And for those guys who are, are you know 
near 300 pounds and takes a little bit longer than maybe some skill position players do coming off of that injury. And that's the question that we also have to ask for Lawson as well. And now he's going to come back yeah. from that injury, but I'm excited for Glasgow going forward just because of what he showed. And I think he can develop into one of the better rotational defensive tackles in the league. If he comes back healthy. Yeah. The sc- scary thing about a lot of these guys, a lot of torn knee ligaments, a lot of, sprained knee ligaments, a lot of uh, long-term, you know, a lot of ligament stuff this year. A.J. Mm-hmm. Green, a- toe ligament, Andy Dalton, thumb ligament. I mean, it's it's a lot of, like, long-term recovery stuff and long-term uh, keep them out of the lineup stuff. That's what's been uh, – so, I mean, I guess when we sit here and we want to knock on the medical staff a little bit, which is an easy target, you know, some of these things are just kind of like, well, when it's a ligament, it's a ligament. I, I, you know, I, I don't know – what, what more you can really do about that, but uh, is, is, is what it is. Uh, I guess we can end with this one. We've, we've mentioned his name a couple of times, uh, but I thought this was a good question. Michael Myers um, asking about the tight end spot. Uh, curious what this team does at the tight end spot. Uh, is Eifert worth the money uh, with his history? Well, that's a good question itself. Uh, what will Croft ask for? Another good question. Um and he ends with a comment about CJ Uzama. Um, for some reason last week, I noticed that CJ Uzama was targeted a bunch of times and made minimal catches. Uh, I also noticed that for some reason, this is just super random. I, it was just a random observation. He was like throwing his body around, trying to make catches and slamming his head against the turf. His body was just like ragdollish for some reason last week. And I don't know what that was about. I haven't really seen that too much from him, but uh, I, I think I think Uzama's a nice number two. I, I think he's good what he has been traditionally for the Bengals, a good number two guy, a decent passing outlet. Um, he's tall, he's athletic, and he can catch the ball well. I, I, think, I think he's a valuable guy to keep as a backup guy, but it's what you do going, you know, with ahead. And uh, a lot of people say, well, do you use that first round pick on a tight end? Do you use maybe a second round pick, especially if it's a higher, you end up getting that higher slating of, of a draft selection. Maybe one of those good tight ends falls to the beginning of the second round. Um, I like Tyler Eifert. I really do. And I like what he brings to the lineup. But at this point, it's like, it's ankle. It's ankle again. It's back. It's elbow it's i mean it it there's a lot of and it comes unfortunately that comes with the territory of the position they play because they're asked to block and catch tough catches across the middle but i don't know um and i don't know what eifert's gonna ask for because of the injury history so i'd like to see him back and maybe a pro- another prove it deal but i don't think they can rely on him no they can't but if it's all the same to him if he wants to continue risking his body, you know, another body part to permanent damage. If he wants to keep coming back, yeah, I'll give him a one-year deal. Like, I, I honestly, like, the rate of which his body is, de- is degenerating and the rate of which he's worth on the open market, they're on, like, a congruent plane downwards. So, bit, we, like, they can get him for, you know, less than what they probably did from near him now. I think his final cap hit was, like, five and a half. He's going to be, like, 29, 30 years old, you know, coming off another season and injury. I can't imagine – a lot of other teams, if they didn't show love to him last year in the open market, I can't imagine they're going to show any love this year. So, you know, I, I'm disappointed in how little they've – or how much they've limited Uzoma, in my opinion. I, I don't think they have him running 
know, enough downfield routes and have him using his speed to kind of stretch the field in a way that I think he's capable of doing. And I think a lot of that has contributed to his lack of production. And obviously, Jeff Driscoll couldn't hit the broadside of a barn last week, and that had a lot to do, lot to do with yeah. you know, not just Uzoma's lack of production, but the entire receiving core. And, yeah. he's, and he's been dealing with, you know, Andy Dalton's, you know, you know, what whatever accuracy issues he's always been dealing with, and obviously Jeff Driscoll's the backup quarterback, so the situation's not great. But he's also not that upper tier athlete that a guy like Eifert is, and I think they just trust him a lot. They, they depend upon him a lot too much, just going into the season and, and when not even if, when he goes down, they just haven't um, given the confidence in Croft or, you know, Uzoma to kind of take over for him because they are different levels of athletes. And I don't think they plan well enough, you know, when he goes out loud to implement either Croft or Uzoma. As far as Croft goes, I, I can't imagine he's going to ask for much either. But, you know, I, I'm okay with bringing back Uzoma on a modest deal. I'm okay with bringing back Eifert on, on another one-year deal. Again, if it's all the same to him, if he wants to keep doing this, He's still, you know, an upper tier talent when he is healthy. So you might as well just keep getting these one year deals until something sticks. But one thing I do know is that in general, it's better to buy tight ends rather than rely on young tight ends to produce. It's so rare for a rookie tight end to come in and produce like a like a number one. You have a guy like George Kittle who is in his second year and he's blowing up the league with Nick Bowens as a quarterback. But you know, typically that that year two jump is where you see tight ends, you know actually produce, but relying on a rookie one, especially in the first round, it's kind of a losing battle and not a lot of teams have have success with it. So I'm okay with relying on veterans, but it, whether it's Eifert or maybe a draft pick, you still have to probably have to have that athletic guy that you can trust, you know, winning down the field. Uh, yeah. I've just got a couple more points here uh, uh, regarding Croft. Um, you know, he had a nice year, a nice year in 2017 in terms of stepping up for Eifert and, um, I think he was co-leading the team in, in touchdown. He was maybe second in, in the mm. team with touchdown receptions with like seven or eight. And uh, so, I mean, good good season there. I just – I feel like a guy with his skill set is a little more findable than an oh, Eifert, sure. than an Eifert, than an Uzama. Um, and, and I – I mean, I hate to say that because he's had – he's been more consistent than Uzama. He's had more – more, but I, I just feel like his skill set, more of a little bit more inline blocker, um, kind of more of the short yardage type of stuff, I think his skill set points to a guy that is is a bit more findable in the draft or in free agency. The, the other thing I've – and I don't know if you've noticed it, John, but one thing I've noticed, especially as the year has gone on and when Eifert has been out of the lineup, the Bengals have traditionally run a very effective play uh, in the Dalton era, which is a tight end screen. Um, and they've mm -hmm. really done it a lot where it's just a little dump. It's it's almost what you see a lot of teams run with, with the running backs. Um, and just because of the athleticism of some of their tight ends, particularly Eifert, um, it's been an effective play. You know, they're in a hole, second and long, third and long, and they do this dump off play and Eifert will move the chains on a, on a play where he just kind of runs after the catch. And uh, that play has been lacking. And I think that's been hurting the offense among many, many other things, but they need to they need to get if they especially if they're going to keep Dalton and trust me we've got a lot of questions about that tonight if they're going to keep Dalton next year that's probably a play in the arsenal they're going to need to bring back uh because that's a that's a confidence builder that's a that's a drive you know a drive uh continuing type of play and 
it just hasn't really been part of the repertoire lately. So uh, whether that's Eifert coming back and somehow being healthy and, and contributing in that capacity, somebody else. Um, and that's just one little play. I mean, we've seen Eifert make great catches and whatnot, and uh, that's also missed. But tight end definitely needs to be addressed. Matt Langle will probably not be back, I don't think, next year. Uh, Mason Shrek is in the last year of his deal, his rookie deal, I believe. So um, he's got something to prove. And, uh, you know, the Bengals have a lot a lot of decisions to make there because Eifert will be a free agent. Croft will be a free agent. And I think Uzama is going to be a free agent um, as well, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. All those guys are. So they need to – uh, they need to do that. They need to figure that out. So, uh, thanks for all the questions tonight, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, hopefully our answers appease you. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know if they will or not, but, uh, we appreciate all the questions and, uh, all of the interaction that you continue to show this, this program, even though it has been an, another subpar year by the Cincinnati Bengals, you can get this show on iTunes on Stitcher on Google Play. You can get it on Art19. It's uh, all of our stuffs on YouTube as well, and uh, you can you can get our stuff on CincyJungle.com. One thing I, I also forgot to to mention, and this stuff isn't on YouTube, but it's on our our audio feed and whatnot. We do a post game. It's usually through this, the Cincy Jungle Facebook Live. We do a post game analysis video, and uh, we end up transferring that to our our podcast feed so uh if you are strictly a youtube watcher of our program definitely check that out uh we taught it's it's usually immediately following the game um so so definitely check that out we bring that to you every week that we can uh to talk about what transpired in the most recent Bengals game john merry christmas my friend it's it's a week early but uh and it's it's kind of weird to say it so early but merry christmas buddy merry christmas to you as well man yeah, thanks for everything you've done for this show, and thanks to the listeners. We'll see you next episode. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll see you next time. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.